Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Jonah 3, 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of, the, of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on the sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows, God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from disaster he had threatened them with and he did not do it. Amen. Please be seated. So Jonah and the whale, do you guys know the story of Jonah and the whale, right? Kiddos, some of you know the story of Jonah and the whale. And we're always like, how did he survive for three days, right? You know, we puzzle over this, a famous story. And uh, we are, we're, we're going to talk about that in the context of a new series that we're starting today called Hungry for God. For the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the, the hunger for God, and we're preparing ourselves for a season of prayer and fasting that we're going to do with other churches around the city in, uh, in what's called Awaken Houston. It's going to start in the last Sunday of January, and we're, we're asking God just to, to awaken the church and to awaken hearts to his, his name and his glory, to the gospel of Jesus. I'm I'm excited to see what God's going to do, but today uh, we're going to talk about a hunger for repentance, a hunger for repentance. Um, have you ever ruled out a food group or a certain food only to find out later in life that you really, really like it? Maybe you even love it. Yeah? I have three boys and two of them have a very, very short list of foods that are on their approved food list, okay? It, it is a very short list. And not long ago, we put one green bean on each of their plates. One. Not like a whole serving. One green bean. And it wasn't even the biggest green bean in the pot. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a tiny little green bean. And we're like, look, just eat 
one. You have to eat one before you leave the table. You know how Jesus describes hell as weeping and gnashing of teeth? Like, that's my dinner table. It's like, ah, ah, you're the worst parents in the world. One, one child in his grief cries out, I'd rather eat grass than eat this green bean. And I'm just praying that someday their eyes will be open to this whole food group called vegetables, right? It's going to be good. It's going to expand what we can cook at our house, and it's going to be awesome. I was like that with sushi. I could not fathom eating raw fish for any reason. And then I had a friend named Bo McBeth, and he invites me out to lunch, and he's like, let's go eat sushi. And I, didn't, I was trying to be the nice pastor, so I didn't have the heart to say, like, I don't eat sushi. So what I said and said was, look, if you order it, I'll eat it. And he did me right, guys. I'm telling you, this was the most amazing. I mean, my eyes were opened. I love sushi now, okay? I'm just going to say it. I like it. it. It was amazing. And I was thinking about how sometimes we just need someone to come alongside of us and show us what we've been missing. We, we need that. And I'm hoping that in this series, as we talk about hungering for God, that this series would be like that, that there's something that you've ruled out of your diet that you're going to open your eyes to or open your experience to, and you're going to say, man, I've been missing out on this. Today, repentance. Now, what comes into your mind when I say the word repentance? Just curious. Is it like, oh, yeah, yay, repentance. Yeah, good, great. Or is it like, oh, good thoughts, bad thoughts? Is it like green beans to you? Like, I'd rather eat grass, okay? Something you avoid. And I just want us to dive into what happens in Jonah chapter 3 and just kind of ask the Lord to open our hearts and our minds to repentance. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about what's happening in the story. Jonah is, he's living in like the mid to late 700s BC. Um, Nineveh is near modern day Mosul, Iraq. And the Lord comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh. Jonah gets on a boat and goes 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. He does not want to go there. He does not like the people there. He, he, does, he wants nothing to do with it. You know the story. God sends a storm, and the waves are crashing over the boat, and everyone's freaking out, and Jonah's asleep, and they wake him up, and they're like, we're going to draw straws to figure out like who's responsible for this. The straw falls to Jonah, and they're like, tell us about you. And he's like, I'm a Hebrew. God told me to do something, and I ran away, and they're like... It's you, right? And he says, throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. Immediately the sea goes calm and a massive fish comes and swallows Jonah and he cries out from the belly of the fish. He has a prayer. He cries out to God. And it says three days later, it spits him up on the shore and then we pick it up. The word of the Lord came a second time. We serve the God of second chances. And as we talk about repentance, maybe some of you have had a thing where God has spoken to you and he said, I want you to do this. I want you to obey me in this. And you have, you've run 2,500 miles in the other direction. And I'm just, I just want to remind you that he's the God who brings us back to that place and the word comes again. And maybe today the word comes again for you, the God of second 
chances. And so Jonah goes, and he goes to the great city, and he begins to preach against the city the message that God gives him in verse uh, 3 through 5. It says, um, it was a three-day walk, and he set out on the first day of his walk, and he proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's encouraging. And here's what's cool about it. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and they dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. I imagine that Jonah hears the word of the Lord. Here's what I want you to say. In 40 days, this place is going down. And he goes and he begins to work his way through this intricate city that had been built. And he's going from neighborhood to neighborhood. And like, it's crazy, but it works. People respond. And here's the first thing I want us to know about repentance. Is that repentance is a life-changing response to God's word. It's a life-changing response to God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And God puts this message in his mouth. And he goes and he proclaims this word. He preaches against it. And this, this 40 days, by the way, 40 is, is a sim, it's symbolic, a period of testing, trial, or probation. We see it when Jesus is being tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. He's being tested. We saw it uh, with, with Israel wandering through the wilderness, right? They're 40 years there. Moses, before he's, you know, meets God in the burning bush, he spends 40 years in Midian, a, a time of testing. And God uses bad news to lead them to the good news. And by the way, around this time, they had gone through about two plagues. There was COVID 765 BC. There was another one in like COVID 759 BC. Okay, so right around this time, they had gone through two plagues. Uh, there was a total eclipse where, you know, not like the song, Total Eclipse of the Heart, but it's like literally like the, the land goes dark, right? And so they're, they're, God's using the, the things, the trials of earth to soften hearts so that a word would go out and they would respond to it. And the thing is, it was a life-changing response. The word repent, um, it, it's the metanoia. It's, it's to change one's mind for the better. That's what it means, to, to think differently, to turn away from sins with contrition and turn toward God. It's, it's literally, you're going this way in your life, in a life that's like they had evil, they had, they had violence, they, have, they had sin in their life, and they turn around when they hear this message, and they, they turn their whole life in a different direction. That's what repentance is. Uh, I found this quote from Wayne Grudem. He says, repentance is heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a commitment to forsake it. 
and to walk in obedience to Christ. And here's, here's what's so amazing in the story. In verse 10, it says that God saw what? He saw their, their actions. Here's why I think that's important. We're grace people. Right? We're gospel people. We, we know that no one is justified by works of the law. That we're born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? We know that. We, we believe that. But God saw their actions. And here's, here's what's important for us to understand is that um, the easy believism that has said, look, just sign the card. Just come to the front. Just, just you know, believe in Jesus. But when you don't accompany that with repentance, that's only half, it's only half the journey. In Matthew 4, verse 17, I think, it says that from then on, Jesus began proclaiming, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the whole, you know, like, the, the whole call of the gospel is not just like give mental assent to these ideas. It's let this change you. Repentance is the change on the inside that changes everything. And it changes their whole direction. It was a life change. And God saw their actions. And then we have these people that begin to call out. And it says they, they prayed, right? They prayed honestly, they prayed honestly. It wasn't an empty ritual to them. They prayed humbly in that they admitted their evil and their violence. And they, and they prayed hungrily that even, even the animals were fasting. Did you catch that in the story? It's like even all the people, including your animals. Now just imagine your dog and your cat just looking at you with those eyes every day as you're in the middle of this fast and you've got the sackcloth on and they're whimpering and they're looking at you, right? And you're like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, we got we to turn this thing around. They prayed hungrily. They, they fasted. They felt it in their bodies. Their hunger supercharged their re repentance. It was a life-changing response to the word of God. They believed and they turned. The second thing about repentance is that it, it holds history-making, world-changing power. Here's how we know that. We're still talking about this story today. You know, almost 3,000 years ago. I'm here teaching and preaching about people, a whole people group that turned around at the word of the Lord. And in every great move of God that we still talk about today includes a turning in a people group. All of them. I, I was reading about the Great Awakening, and that, that's an incredible period of history in America. 
And in 17, I'm sorry, in uh, July 8th of 1741, in Enfield, Connecticut, Jonathan Edwards had gone with a, a group of ministers, and there was some kind of like bubbling up of some, some new works, and people re were receiving Christ. And so this crowd forms, and they want to know like how to be saved. And so they begin every night. They're going to preach, and they have like this big place that they're meeting in. Thousands of people come. And Jonathan Edwards gets chosen for a Wednesday night. He digs around in his saddlebag trying to find like a, a sermon. I got to find something to say. He pulls out a sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Have you ever heard of that before? Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God? Sounds like really good, encouraging stuff, doesn't it? Kind of like this place is going down in 40 days, right? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was a sermon that he had preached to his own congregation. And when he preached it, they were just sitting there unmoved, is what he said. No effect. But for whatever reason, he feels like this is the one. And he steps up, and he's not, he, he, he was very concerned about being showy, so he just sits there, and he just reads it. Monotone voice, reads the sermon. And as he's reading the sermon, people begin to cry out, and moan, and weep. And at one point it says, he's like, please stop. I, I'm trying to finish the sermon. And he, he can't. Like it's just conviction falls. And there's this, this kind of this moment where the great awakening just went poof. Spirit of God moved. And a whole people group turned. History making, world changing power. It changes the people in the colonies that would become the United States of America, that would become one of the greatest missionary sending nations ever to exist because of repentance. Right. And there's this trail of repentance in the story. It's, um, I didn't really see it at first, but you know, at first glance, we think, well, the Ninevites turned, right? They repented, right? You know, hallelujah, praise God. But before they repent, the first person to repent was who? Jonah. The word of the Lord had to come a second time. And he had to decide, like, okay, I'll go this time. I'll do what you said. So, so the first person to repent was the wayward prophet, but see, I think there's something in that for us that the move of God that we crave is not going to start out there. It's going to start in here with the people of God. When the prophet turns, then the message could go out and the people could turn. And I'm telling you, church, we as the, as the followers of Jesus, we have to go first. We can't just pray for it to happen out there. We have to be people who say, no, no, today, in my heart, in my house, we're turning. It begins with us. But the trail of repentance doesn't stop there. The prophet turns, the people turn. And then if you have a King James version of the Bible, you're going to find another word, repent, later in the story. And I believe it's in verse 10. And it says, my translation says that God relented, but the King James Version says that God repented. And that's weird. 
Because God did not have to turn from evil. No, no, God changed his mind about what he was going to do. He relents. So the prophet repents, the people repent, and God relents. The trail of repentance. And here's the thing, if we want to change the world, if we want to change our city, if we want to change our families, if we want to, if we want to change our nation, it's going to happen when we start turning. Us first. And it unleashes this history-making, world-changing power. But here's why. Verse, I mean, the, point, the third point is this. Repentance is God's kindness that releases God's mercy. It's God's kindness that releases God's mercy. There's, there's kindness all over this story, okay? All over the story. So God is kind to call Jonah the first time. Jonah, I want to use you. Here's what I want you to do. What a kindness. Then Jonah, of course, does not want to do that. But God in his kindness gives him a big old fish in three days to think about it. And in his kindness, he gives him the second word. In his kindness, he warns the people of Nineveh. Did he have to do that? No. He didn't have to do that. But he did. He gives them 40 days. 40 days. Look, you got 40 days to figure this out. It's kindness. He turns from sending disaster. It's kindness. Jonah, in the next chapter, it's kind of funny. He gets mad at God. Jonah, he, he's, he doesn't like Nineveh. He doesn't like the people of Nineveh. He probably would have just rather seen it like destroyed, but he has to obey God. And then it says, Jonah gets, he gets angry. And then in his anger, here's what he says. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. I knew you were going to be good. I knew you were going to be kind. And it's so frustrating to me. He was mad that God was kind. I was thinking of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, or do you despise the riches of God's kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance. And then repentance releases the mercy. I, I know that when we hear the word repent, how many of you want to walk into your office tomorrow and go to your coworkers and be like, good morning, repent. How was Christmas? Turn it around, buddy. This place is going down in 40 days. Repent. You're like, that might be a little harsh. Like, I'm not sure that's the vibe I'm trying to send about Jesus to these people, okay? We, we think that repent 
is a mean word, a bad word, a harsh word, a holy roller word, a holier than thou word. But I just want to remind you that it's a kindness. It's a kindness. God in his kindness leads us to repentance. And the reason why he does that is so that he can lavish mercy. Mercy on us. And you know what mercy is. It's not getting what you deserve. I was struck by this idea that in the book of Jonah, it says that the people's sin had come up before God. The the phrase was, their evil has come up before me. Now, we're, we're individualistic American Western people, and so our whole lives are about like me and Jesus, right? Me and God. But did you know that like the sins of a whole people come up before God? Like this, this idea of like national judgment is real. It's biblical. And he says, their, their evil has come up before me. Their, their violence, right? Their, their sins. And it's like this, this unrighteousness and injustice was like in the ground that they were in this, that was in this place, and it's like screaming to be rectified. It's coming up before him. And like raking the, the leaves up in our yards, like I just picture the, the sins are just like heaping up on, on earth before God. And it's like there's something in God's righteousness and holiness that we can't fathom. It's like this has to be rectified. It's, it's just coming up before him. And yet when God sees people believe and lower themselves, when he sees a king, a king, hear it and fall on his face and get down in the ash and put the most uncomfortable clothing that he could find on so that it would just remind him of like his desperate situation. And when he sees this, Mercy. Mercy. Have you ever had somebody in your life that was like so offensive to you? And like every time you're around them, you're just like, oh, like that's offensive. And you just want to cut them out of your life. You want to cut them off. Like no more. I mean, how does God go from evil piled up, screaming out to be rectified to mercy. And the answer is that he releases mercy to them the very same way that he releases mercy to us. Because Jesus would take this screaming pile of injustice and unrighteousness and he would literally like clothe himself in it and go up to a Roman cross and be separated from the Father, and he would bear it. He would die for it. He would take all the judgment that was meant to be poured out on them, and he would just say, pour it out on me. So that you and I could receive mercy. He could lead us in his kindness to repentance 
so that he could release his mercy. And here's the thing. If you want to receive mercy, there's one condition. Repentance. Repentance opens the flow of mercy to us. So, I know, it might sound like green beans to you. Like I'd rather eat grass than talk about repentance. But when you taste it, a whole new world of mercy flavors open to you and you say to yourself, I've been missing out. So it begins with us. We are God's people. It begins with the house of God. And if you're a believer in Christ, I think we need to start with us. We need to hear the word of the Lord. We need to turn back to him with our whole lives. We need to be people who hear it and just lower ourselves and to pray honestly and humbly and hungrily. And we need to behold the mercy of God that changes history and changes the world. It's a kindness. May we hunger for repentance. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.